0: Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security and resilience to thrive in a new era of uncertainty and stakeholder capitalism. Deloitte's host is Sir Rob Wainwright. With career-long experience of navigating complex risk and security issues, he talks with business leaders and experts about their challenges and experiences in becoming more responsible businesses towards an outcome that is better for all stakeholders better for long-term shareholder value, and better for society as a whole. Our guest is David Gregson. David co-founded and acted as chairman of Phoenix Equity Partners, a private equity firm that's invested in tens of companies that have generated billions in revenues in aggregate over the years. But it's David's second career after being an investment executive that we're interested in for this podcast discussion. He's been on the board of over 30 companies, having chaired some 15 of them, and is also engaged in high-impact philanthropy. In sectors as diverse as consumer, media, real estate, healthcare, the environment, sport and public policy, Rob and David explore what goes on in the proverbial boardroom, including what signals has David seen across different industries that there's a shift towards more responsible business. And what role does the board play in this shift? Over to Robin David.
1: Well, thank you, Rodney. Welcome back, listeners, and a very warm welcome to you, David. Lovely to have you in our virtual room today. My word, 30 different board positions over the years. Well, what an extraordinary effort. I admire your fortitude, if nothing else, David. We're going to tap into that huge experience you have of the boardroom today to test this assumption, as Rodney was saying, That across many industries, there seems to be a sea change underway in business, perhaps one towards companies becoming more responsible in their actions and strategic outlook. Now, from the many industry leaders I've been interviewing in this podcast series, that's what I'm hearing. But, you know, I have this nagging feeling that maybe we haven't turned the corner yet fully. So we have plenty of words, but how much real action towards change on the ground? So, David, you're going to enlighten us from your tremendous experience. What are you seeing across industry
2: right now? Well, I have to say, Rob, I would would agree with your assessment, your initial assessment, that there's a lot of words. But this is a very, very long-term programme. And if you cast your mind back to when I first joined uh, a climate change charity, it was 2005. It's 15 years ago. And here we are now, we talk about responsible business, probably the most prominent element of a responsible business is its sustainability programme. And it's clear to me that there's still a long way to go on embedding sustainability in business. So I think your initial point is right. A lot of talk, some great progress, but a long way to go.
1: I think um, it's interesting you mentioned climate change. I've been struck by the same same thought that for 15, 20 years, uh, we've been telling ourselves in the business and government sectors and in society that this is really important, that we have to fix the world for the future of our children. Um, And it's on a slow burn, frankly. And that's what I see. Now, you compare that with what's happened with COVID this year, for example, where there was a much more urgent rallying around in an almost uniform way across industry and sector in different countries. So How do you explain that, that that there's an urgency, perhaps, to a COVID response,
2: but not not in other areas? Well, there are so many priorities in running a business, aren't there? And so if you really want to point a business to the future, you've got to work out what your priorities are. And if we take the current COVID uh, pandemic crisis... Now is not the time for most businesses which have, have perhaps not prepared themselves on the responsibility agenda to, to seek to do so. They've got so many other problems to address. It's a bit like uh, flying a, 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 a jumbo jet 747 trying to change four engines while still being in the air. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And that's why it takes so long to, uh, such a long time, because at the end of the day, you're trying to embed behaviours in businesses. You're trying to embed behaviours in societies and in that sense it's interesting to see how different governments approach COVID let alone different businesses.
1: But you say that that maybe you know there's been COVID has has brought this great big stress test of course uh, to our resilience in in society but of course uh, in, in the economy in all different sectors. So are you saying that for those that Uh, maybe already more governed by a purpose-led agenda, that they've been able
2: to deal with that stress
1: test in in
2: a better way. Yeah, I actually think I am saying that. I mean, if one one casts one's mind back uh, to 2008 and the financial crisis, which was the first time that companies really had to front up to something out of the ordinary, and certain companies took the moment to look at their long-term strategies, try and make themselves more resilient. And I think the one that stands out, we're, we're, we're speaking to each other in the Netherlands and, and we're both British. I mean, one of, the, one of the companies that stands out is Unilever. And it took that opportunity at that time to take a much more holistic view of its approach to business, its relationship with its stakeholders, its relationship with the community. It's a shining example of that. There are many companies who didn't do that. Now, there've been other pegs in the ground which have helped um, uh, build this momentum. And one has been the the publication of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They've had a bit of a positive impact too. I think the COVID pandemic will also have something of a positive impact.
1: But is this a positive impact? I mean, it's great in the sense that if we can get more companies like Unilever doing the right thing for society where it really matters, of course, that's great to be applauded. Is it the right thing for their business in terms of, you know, the profit as well, their profit line? Is it is it a smart thing to do in business? Is that what companies are also finding, do you think?
2: Well, uh, I think the enlightened companies think that think that there is a link between responsible business and profits. In fact, there was a, I think it was a Harvard Business Review research report which showed that those businesses which were deemed to be responsible, their profits were 5 to 7% higher than those in their sector who who weren't. Uh, And there's plenty of evidence to show that uh, employees are far more productive in purpose-led businesses. Um, I think it's something like 75% of employees prefer to work for a purpose-led business. They're more productive as a result. So there are very, very good reasons why businesses should adopt a responsible agenda. But because it's not the thing that is confronting them day in, day out, monthly meetings with boards, with investors, unless you really take that broader long-term view, you're not going to adapt to it.
1: Well, of course, of course, COVID um, and the effects of COVID have indeed confronted um, business leaders directly on, on the issue. So you, so you wonder when you think about that, if, if there is more and more evidence that, that it really does help to drive a more profitable business as well. Do you think that the COVID impact is accelerating this change towards responsible? Will it encourage the growth of more new do you think? Uh,
2: is that already happening? Well, over time, I think it will. But I think it'll just be seen as another peg in the ground, just as the 2008 financial crisis was and the United States Nations Sustainable Development Goals. These are pretty big
1: goals. pegs, though, David, aren't
2: they? They're very big pegs. But, I mean, there was a research done, um, uh, uh, there was a survey done of 30 CEOs in the US, admittedly, Uh, about three months ago. And did these 30 senior business leaders think that COVID was going to lead to more of an approach to to responsible business and a change in investment priorities? Well, 30% said, yes, they thought it would. 30% said they didn't think it would. And 30% felt that it would stay about the same. So views are very, very uh, varied and not equivocal on this. And as my uh, climate change example showed, these are long-term trends. So so what does it take then? I mean, if, if,
1: if one believes that this is the right thing to do for many reasons, what does it take for successful companies to... You know, to turn these words into effect, effective action. You know, to 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 go from saying you're led by purpose to actually making something happening in terms of impact.
2: Well, it's a it's a, it's a superbly good question. If I knew the answer to that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd you know, so I've got my well, own. What about plenty But you know what? It, it, there may be a bit of an answer in a in a new index, which you may or may not know about, Rob, called the the Tortoise Media Index of Responsible Business. And they've taken the FTSE 100, uh, a group of top 100 publicly quoted companies, and listed them according to their performance, according to various responsible business criteria. And they've got actually seven domains by which they judge that of which sustainability will be one, but governance and poverty and employee relations and all sorts of other ones would be the same. And uh, it's it's clear that those at the top of that particular list are very international, subject to all sorts of external pressures which inform their thinking. It's very noticeable that those at the bottom of the list are much more domestic and not subject to those uh, external sort of insights that might inform their thinking. And at the end of the day, if you sit on the board of any of these companies, you as a non-executive director can have quite an impact. But the real fundamental difference to any of these businesses is who is the chief executive, what is their approach to leadership, and how are they leading their particular company?
1: Yeah, so leadership really does matter, of course. That said it's the Boards that appoint the CEO, of course. So so there is, of course, um, a hugely important role the Boards play here in helping to set this agenda. And, and I just wondered, you know, what, what has been your experience around the real
2: importance of, of the Board getting these decisions right? Well, you've already pointed to the fact that probably the most important thing that a Board does is appoint the CEO. And, um, The the funny thing about that, we all sort of think, oh, gosh, it's very clear what a good CEO is. But actually, the eye of the beholder of a CEO is incredibly important. I I chair a sort of a a leadership conference every year. And at last year's conference, we had a very well-known CEO come along and talk. And the reason I mention this is at the end of the session after he'd left, I asked the delegates, and there were about 30 of them, what they thought of the CEO. Half of them thought he was outstanding and half of him thought he was awful. And it was very stark that what one's person view of a leader is can be quite different to another person's. And boards don't always agree as well. I mean, I've been on the board that has appointed tens of CEOs and very often it's not unanimous. So when I describe, which I can do in a minute if you wish, what I think goes into a great leader that just tells you about my perspective. It wouldn't necessarily be shared by others.
1: Yes, but you have this experience across not just 30 different companies, but many different sectors of the economy, and indeed, of course, in in in, in the non-profit world. So. Give me your top top few tips as to what makes a great leader. We're all we're all itching to hear that, David. You're, you're, you're a fond of all knowledge on this issue. Well,
2: I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, Rob. I have to say, and the common ingredients for me in what makes a great CEO. Firstly, I think a great CEO has got to be humble. He's got not, not not a hint of hubris. It strikes
1: anyway. out rather a lot already.
2: Don't don't you? it does. It does for me. And and therefore, you know, if I'm on a a, a nominations committee, I probably won't recruit somebody who I don't think is humble. And I think that they've got to be incredibly self-aware. Because for me, um, great businesses and great leaders are willing to have feedback at all times and be open to it. And the third element, which is very unusual, which I've suffered from myself, I have to say, so I've got experience with this, is a willingness to be vulnerable very publicly, particularly at a time like COVID. You know, when you, when you have exceptional events like the 2008 financial crisis or currently the pandemic, none of which any of us had experienced before, those who are willing to stand up and say, I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to listen to anybody who's got some good thoughts that then I can make a decision on. That is such a powerful leadership tool. And the great leaders for me do that. Well, it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Because that's not the characterization of the traditional sort of Titanic swashbuckling CEO to, to have vulnerabilities, to yeah. uh, to display humility. But, but it says something perhaps about um, what kind of values it takes in, in our modern world um, for for leaders to be successful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think the sort of Titanic model, the sort of the the go getting alpha male or alpha woman who leads a business, um, that feels slightly dated. And it feels slightly dated because of all of the issues affecting responsible business in the way that we've described, because there are so many more different pressures on CEOs today than there were 50 years ago. So the titan, who sets the direction and pushes anything out of the way to reach that objective feels one-dimensional in today's multi-dimensional world which is why i give you the description that i do okay so that's understandable i think for, for boards though the role that they
1: have in themselves setting the direction the strategic direction i guess that's a fundamental of fundamental importance here and and so i think if we were to think about the, the need, perhaps, the ambition to encourage more responsible business, then a lot of that is in the responsibility for that is in the hands of the board, surely.
2: Yeah, no, unquestionably. Uh, and of course, if you're a board of non-executive directors, of course, in, in the United Kingdom, we have uh, unitary boards. Uh, so executives sit on the board with non-executives. There's a dual structure in the Netherlands and in other parts of the world. Uh, but in the, in the unitary structure, Ultimately, the strategy is set by the executive and is approved by the board. And therefore, if one is trying to build a more purpose-built company, the first thing you have to do as a non-executive is change the chief executive if you don't think that they are able or have the appetite or the skills to develop a purpose-led strategy. I think we'll see more of that. I think we'll see more of boards realising that in order to prosper in tomorrow's world as opposed to yesterday's, they need the sort of characteristics that I've described. The only way a board is going to bring that about is by ch- changing the chief executive. Hmm, fascinating.
1: I just wonder, David, listening to you, um, you know, what makes you tick? You know, th- th- There you have this remarkable <laughs> portfolio of positions. We've known each other for a number of years. I know that you've been this board game for for about fifteen years or more. Um, you've dipped your toes in many different ponds. Which which ones really stimulate you on a personal level to make that? That
2: difference well perhaps you know and I, I often wrestle with why this is you know because I have got a very deeply embedded commercial career but for the last 15 years as as Rodney in the introduction said you know I've done lots of different things whether that's environmental sitting on the board of WWF whether that's sport using sport to inspire young people and we might come on to that in a second whether it's improving the lives of su- people ravaged by substance misuse um and 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 a review of the prison service and, and and many things besides and in terms of why what what makes me tip well for me and of course motivations are very different between different people for me I feel incredibly privileged I've had everything the best that Britain can offer I went to a private school I went to an absolutely top university And I've had an enormous uh, benefit in my life, which in, in, in economies like the United Kingdom, which suffer from desperate inequality to a greater degree than other countries, it feels unfair and I want to put something back. And I apply that type of thinking both to the businesses that I'm involved in, but also where I choose to spend my time. At the moment, I'm trying to bring more equality to the British education system, for example. And I think over time, in in the decades to come, uh, you know, lots of people and lots of people do think like me, and I think more and more people will do. You mentioned sport. Um, One of the
1: things that attracted my interest is is your involvement in in helping to promote uh, English women's football. I mean that must be fascinating. That, that's you know I'm, I'm I'm a big football fan, but of course you, you read the back pages. You don't see, you don't you don't get a sniff of a mention of the women's game, and so I wonder how. Uh-huh.
2: No no no, that's changing. No no, I'm
1: not. Is gonna. that changing really? <laughs> changing. And is it changing in other countries as well? What, oh, what yeah. do you think?
2: Yeah no no no. Uh, women's football is definitely on the up, and I got I, I got involved in it for one very clear reason which is that I know what a seminal impact sport can have on young people's lives. And when we have the gender diversity issues that we touched upon at the very, very beginning as being so fundamental and in inspiring and empowering young women is so important to the future of countries and the world, what better vehicle for that than the world's favourite sport, football, by country mile? I'm, I used to be chairman of the uh, of the LTA British Tennis, you know, when Andy Murray won Wimbledon for the first time, and I know what an impact some incredible moments like that can have, both on a nation's psychology, and on the people who play the sport. I was chairman of the Olympic Legacy, London 2012. Inspire a generation was our was our slogan, and my word, it, it did for a spell. It's not been as long lasting as we. We might have liked. But, you know, when it comes to English women's football, I think there's an opportunity to inspire half the, 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 the world's population. I really do. That's why I do it.
1: What a fantastic ambition and inspiration. Well, David, we're going to have to wrap up and we could continue for, for a long time yet. But that's, that's our slot done. Can I thank you for well uh, very interesting examples that you've given us today and also this terrific surveying of the boardroom landscape. Well, stuffy oak panel rooms and a conservative attitude towards progress. That's the traditional image of the boardroom, of course. The truth has always been rather different. While running the company, as Davis says, on a day to day basis will always be the job of the executive team, it's the board's role to steer the strategic direction and it's the board's responsibility to safeguard the company's future. Boards matter and in so many ways as illustrated by the experience of our guest today. And in this age of responsible business, many of them are turning their sights on what it must take for companies to carry a better, stronger and more sustainable purpose. The impacts on our economy and on our lives of climate change, diversity and inclusion, and now a global pandemic have sharpened this focus for many boards. And those well set on this track already are seeing their business prosper, others buffeted by the winds of these deep changes. So whisper it quietly in this oak panel room, but perhaps we really are going through that sea change, that the notion of responsible business is here to stay under a more purpose-driven governance culture set at the very top.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl.